it's awesome. You know, obviously we've been on the road for a while. Um, you know, so to to play a home game is awesome. And you know, obviously with all the the new dimensions and stuff, it's exciting. Everybody, it is the Fan Drive Time Blue Jays Home Opener Edition. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. We are live at Sportsnet Grill at the Toronto Marriott City Center down at Rogers Center where you can come watch the uh, Blue Jays. You can come before Leaf games. You can come before Raptor games. It is the home opener. We made it, Blake. It's finally here. Blue Jays, Tigers. Now I've seen it also. Yes. Yeah, you've seen Rogers Center in its new configuration for the first time. We're also a couple of chicken wings deep here. Uh, at uh, the Sports Egg Grill. What were your first impressions of, of the new ballpark? I went with celery uh, because I didn't want to have, like, a mouthful of chicken as we started the show. Uh, I will have to give you a chicken Not wing me. review after. I, I can tell you that the chicken wings are good. My first impression of the ballpark changes. Uh, so I did, yes, uh, so I got here nice and early, did kind of a self-guided tour because I wasn't here last Thursday. Uh, my initial impression is over under three and a half innings before someone's kicked out of those bleacher seats that are right on top of the visitor's bullpen. I have no, like that is incredibly cool. I have no idea how they're going to enforce some of the like no swearing and no chirping over the line stuff because I have been like age 16 to 25 before. Yes. And I have never seen that. Me too, it was a while ago. Yeah, especially for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's rude. I, I don't know how that's going to go, especially in tight moments uh, of heated games, but it is like it looks and feels like it's going to be an awesome experience. You are right on top of that bullpen. Uh, lots of spaces to sit or stand and hang out, um, have a beverage. But, man, how they're going to enforce the interactions with the visiting oh, yeah. bullpen, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, and everybody behave, them, uh, behave yourselves. If you are going to go into those bleacher seats, that's super cool. There's like a Rogers landing area too, which I pointed at when I did my tour here last week. To me, that is the spot that is going to be the most popular because it's right next to the bleachers and instead of like being right on top of the bullpen, it's like right next to the bullpen so you're like, I guess you're close to the bullpen catcher. And, and you're hugging the foul line in yeah. pretty shallow territory. Like that is the shortest part of the park to get out. Um, if you think of some of the big hits Kevin Kiermeyer had on the weekend, for example, uh, those probably don't all clear he does the, is have big hits. Yeah, and they all hug the line. They yeah. don't. Uh, they don't. They probably wouldn't have got over the fence, but it wouldn't have taken much more for those to be wall scrapers. And you're in prime territory for that now. I think that's that's a, a part that I had underrated about the changes uh, in left and right field to elevate the bullpens and have a little bit more seating. Is there used to be so many home runs hit at Rogers Center that for fan purposes were dead, right? They just yeah. land in the in the big empty bullpen. That's you never right. See, they roll off into the batting cages underneath <laughs> the seats. Yeah. Um, those are now, I mean, some of them are still going to land in the bullpen, but your chances of catching a home run at a Blue Jays game went up significantly. Oh, for sure. And yeah, maybe Aaron Judge, he hit 70 this year, and, and maybe some some people are, are, are lining themselves up on, on the outfield wall there to try and catch a memorable. Okay, okay, you're looking at me because I said Aaron Judge. Okay, maybe Vlad he hits 80 this year, and you're out there catching Vladdy's uh, 81st home run. It was more just salty still that I was at all the Aaron Judge games. And, <laughs> I was and at one. Narrowly missed uh, the, the home run. Um, I, I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fun. The big question then that follows from all of that is just how many home runs are going to be hit because there is still some 
friendly debate in the yeah. within the organization and across kind of analytics communities and just how this ballpark is going to play. We're going to talk to Mike Petriello of MLB.com later in the show, who, along with Keegan Matheson of BlueJays.com, had a piece up today that kind of tried to chart some of the balls hit at Rogers Center in recent years and what that might look like now. Um, I, of course, ran some simulations back when we first found out the dimensions, and that kind of backed up what Mark Shapiro had said, which is that, yeah, we think it's going to be roughly neutral, but neutral means neutral overall. It doesn't mean neutral to every part of the park. It doesn't mean neutral for every type of hitter. And given what happened in the Jays' first 10 games and the way their two, three, and four hitters were destroying balls to the right center field power yeah. alley from the right side, I would have to think Bobachet, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Matt Chapman are stepping in here today looking to stay hot. And suddenly the places that they were hitting loud doubles or home runs that just barely got over the wall on the road are now prime real estate at the new Rogers Center. Yeah, it's insane. Matt Chapman's off to this incredible start, leader in uh, exit velocity, um, the reigning American League player of the year. How many 400-foot home runs he's already hit this year? And actually, you go back, I mean, in that story on MLB.com as well, he was a guy that in particular Mike Petriello and Keegan Matheson pointed out he would have two of his doubles last year in the new configuration would be home runs, and he appears to be a better hitter uh, this year than he even was last year. Some housekeeping uh, before we go any further. Um, if you haven't left and you're coming to the game, leave right now, especially if you're driving, because Bremner is closed. Uh, nobody's fault here. There was, a, it looked like some scaffolding fell down. So Bremner is closed. It's an absolute mess to get off of the Gardner at Spadina. I think the exit going eastbound is still open, but I think the exit off Spadina going westbound on the Gardner is closed. So, I mean, obviously public transit is, is your best option, but especially today. Huh, public transit and pedestrian pathways to the stadium. Mm-hmm. Not so bad now, are they, Ben <laughs> They were never bad. They were never bad. But, yeah, let's, let's make sure that they, uh, they actually work, uh, especially on a day like today. And TTC, uh, the, the Queen car is, is going to be free, I believe, uh, during Until the game as, as well. And after the game, uh, yeah. I believe, too. And go trains, I think, from the 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. window are free as well if you're trying to get home after the game. So um, obviously double-check all of that stuff on the, the social accounts from the public transit authorities, but they're trying to make it as friendly as possible to get in and get out. Yes, um, but yeah, uh, leave yourself lots of time. So again, going back to the dimensions, um, so the Blue Jays have one triple, only one this season. Kiermaier. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was a large, uh, very important triple. It could have been a double in advancing on the throw, but they called it a triple. It's fine. It's, it's, and that's the other thing I think we're going to see more of here. With some of the funky little nooks and crannies out there, that the ball is going to be bouncing around forever and ever and ever, that I think we're going to see tons and tons of triples this year. It's going to be really interesting, too, to see how many you know, loud singles end up as doubles, how many doubles end up as triples as teams, and this includes the Blue Jays outfielders, try to figure out how to play the ball off of these walls. I talked to a couple guys game today, and I know we have Dalton Varsho on the sh- coming up on the show at 6 o'clock, so I don't want to give too much away, um, but I talked to a couple people who said, yeah, the walls are supposed to play pretty hard, mm-hmm. so if you're thinking of you know, is a wall. Because they're, su- they're brand new, right? Like, by yeah. the end of the year, maybe they won't be as hard after they've been, you know, worked in a little bit. Yeah, and, like, you can look up, uh, you can look at old baseball highlights and balls kind of hit the middle part of a wall and just die. Yeah. That's not because of hard or soft. That's because those walls were made of, like, wood and there were dead <laughs> spots in them. Um, what you saw toward the end with Rogers Center is balls would kind of deaden a little bit unless you really roped it off the wall. They're expecting it to bounce a little harder off the wall. Now, 
given all the different angles and slopes of the walls and stuff like that, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I can absolutely see a scenario where in one of those kind of angular parts of the outfield, a ball takes a bounce and goes off the wall, and then it because of the wall hardness ricochets over someone's head, and if you're on your horse, a double becomes a triple. You know, that, so opening day is always a fun day. Uh, in the city of Toronto, no matter what, no matter if the, the Blue Jays are contending for a World Series or not, which they certainly are in, in 2023. And there's been some pretty important opening days, and there's been some pretty moment, uh, important moments in this ballpark over the last couple of years. The Blue Jays return home after spending uh, the home games in both Dunedin and Buffalo during the COVID season. That was a huge moment. And then finally starting opening day at home in Toronto. This, this kind of has that feel, though, too, Blake, that this is something historic. This building has been around since 1989. I know my, my mom was working at, at the then Sky Dome for opening day, and it was like miserable weather. I think they felt like they had to open the roof because that was the whole thing, and it was raining. It was, I, I think they actually had a skydiver come through the, the roof of, of, of Skydome in 1989. And since then, it's been, you know, it, it, its luster is, has worn off slightly, but it feels different in there, man. And I know that the, the talking point when I was here for the unveiling last week was that it's now a ballpark. It's not a stadium. It, it's certainly, like early stages and we haven't seen people in there i can't wait to see it jammed with forty thousand plus it, it does give me that that vibe a bit yeah it certainly felt more like it walking around and, and you and i have discussed before having been to a lot of different ballparks around baseball right and you can kind of get that sense of is this an event venue or is this a baseball venue and this mm-hmm. one feels a little bit more baseball-y now I, I didn't get to go up to the 500 level those are ones that i'm not I don't want to be negative, but I think once the dome is open and it's yeah. a beautiful sunny day. Which it will not be today, by the way. Yeah. I asked Ross Atkins. Yeah. He said, uh, no. He d- and then someone asked a follow-up of, like, could you tell us more? And he was basically like, nah. No. <laughs> nah, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to tell you what goes to do. It's never been open earlier than April 16th. Uh, yeah. Given that they're only home for these six games and the weather is supposed to turn a little overcast later in the week, I think you're looking at that next Mm-hmm. homestand that begins the last week in April uh, as the first time maybe we'll see with the dome open. But I do think, you know, even walking around the 100 level, you kind of start to picture those areas where the sunlight does creep in yeah. before and where in years past it was just like, oh, this is like slightly better lit concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, now there are actual like neighborhoods to it to, to walk through. There are, you know, if we were power ranking some of them, I, I have a, a favorite for the bottom ranking so far, but we, we could skip that. I don't want to be too negative out of the gate. Um, Look, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and just fresh coat of paint goes a long way, too. Yeah. No, it, it, and it, it's very clean. For the, f- the first and only time this season sure. out there, it, it feels oh. like brand new and clean. Yeah, I posted a, a photo to my Instagram story of those bleacher seats, as I'm calling the Zach Britton seats, because yeah, right. I would have been tossed from the wild card game <laughs> if I was able to sit that close to Zach Britton at the time. Um, and it's funny, you, like, you look down, and the bleachers are so clean and brand new. It's like, what? By Saturday, those are disgusting. Oh, yeah. I don't know. And I know, obviously, there is a great service staff that will clean those up and yeah. stuff. But, like, the first the first peanut shells haven't even hit the ground there yet. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how those things uh, work out. I mean, is there going to be some sort of, like, a Yankee Stadium type, like, roll call from the, the bleacher creatures? I would hope it's something different than that. Like, I don't, I don't want to just... Well, somebody come up what with the Yankees have been doing. Yeah, original. come up with it in the next two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked about the offensive side of it when it comes to the Blue Jays and how these new dimensions might impact, uh, well, the left-handed hitters. I mean, right center field is the area that has been uh, decreased as far as distance from home plate the most. It's 16 feet, but the wall went up like four and a half feet in, in that area. But we've, we've seen such great approaches 
uh, by both the left-handed and right-handed hitters this season that it's hard to say that, hey, well, that really benefits the left-handed hitters, but those guys really haven't really been all that pull happy. And we talk, again, talking to Dalton Varsho, he said the reason he, you know, his success against lefties dropped off last season was that he was thinking too much about pulling the ball. It'll be interesting to see the right-handed hitters maybe peppering that, that wall in right center field. But also you look, you look at the starters. This Blue Jays uh, starting staff is obviously off to a bit of a rough start, allowing the third highest home runs per nine this season. And notably, yeah, Jose Barrios hasn't been good in two starts. That was the other part of Ross Atkins' availability where you and I kind of made eye contact and were like, ooh, really? Yeah. The optimism around Jose Barrios because of the strikeout-to-walk I mean, ratio um, – I don't know. He wasn't asked specifically about Barrios. He chose to be like, yeah, really encouraged by, by Jose and his 11-17 ERA and the fact that we're right back to tinkering with mound position and can he throw the fastball and why is he afraid of the inner half? Now, we don't have to worry about that for this series. He gets the nice light landing of, oh, by the way, the 10-0 Tampa Bay Rays with Honestly. the best run differential since the 1800s are his next matchup. Can I tell you how I feel about that? that like, I know this is a stupid way to think about it because they're just – they're full value for being 10-0, but I do think about, hey, you actually might be catching them at the right time because they're not actually going to go 162-0. No, no team has ever started <laughs> uh, a season better than 13-0. Yeah. So that's it. Like, by by Saturday. Isn't that a, a Tigers team of, of the years The Brewers gone did it as well and then missed the playoffs. Yeah. So if you really want to be uh, a smart aleck about it, uh, that would be the example you point to. Um, look, there's a lot of baseball left to play. I don't think even if they lose a couple games before then, the Rays are going to be an easy matchup uh, this weekend. But to the pitchers that are starting tonight, I actually want your take on this because this is Alec Manoa's third start of the season. It doesn't feel like we're going to learn anything new about Alec Manoa or anything like that. However, I would bet he'd tell you that he'd like a mulligan on his season opener where didn't quite live up to what we were hoping for and expecting from him. And his last game at Rogers Center was a loss in the wildcard series as yep. well. So his last two, this is a big moment guy. This is 100%. a guy who took the, the headset mic during the All-Star game <laughs> and commentated his own striking out the side. Like This is a guy <laughs> who has told us since day one, not only of his regular season career, day one of his spring training career when he takes on the Yankees, that he wants the ball in these big, momentous situations. We saw how much it meant to him to get the opening day nod. Um, what do you expect from Alec Manoa tonight? Because his last two big ones, including his last the last time we saw him here, Little underwhelming. Yeah, and it, he had a nice little start uh, against the Kansas City Royals. That that's all well and good. And I guess you shouldn't just push that to the side because uh, you know Jose Barrios didn't have a great start against the Kansas City Royals. But you're right. The last two marquee starts for Alec Manoa didn't go very well. And it is also concerning when you like we get these great emails from Chris Black, who's uh, one of the producers of Blue Jay Central, about the analytics that they're going to go into going into the broadcast. And one of the big ones that stood out to me was the drop in velocity, actually, from Alec Manoa's opening day start where he was horrible against the Cardinals to his second start, which was much better. But the velocity dip was the biggest he's ever had in his entire career, one start after another. Now, again, luckily you got another tomato can in the Detroit Tigers in here who was uh, you know, one of those teams that the Rays uh, dispatched uh, to mean? start the Akil season. What do you mean? is 4 for 10 at the top of the order. He's, yeah, and Spencer Torkelson like, has a hit. Big right? torque, so that's, yeah. That's good for Javi him. Javi Baez hitting third in that lineup. Sure. I it's, mean, he's getting paid to hit third. He not better a, be hitting third. Not a lot of good going on in that lineup. But no, the, the Manoa velocity drop-off is interesting because last year – one of, and I don't mean this as like a criticism of Alec Manoa, but one of the knocks against his case for, say, a Cy Young. 
was that, yes, he had very good numbers, but compared to, say, a Kevin Gosman, yeah. Gosman was getting it done with a lot of strikeouts and limiting walks and limiting home runs, and it was just, okay, He a lot of singles and doubles that added up, and he ended up in the same place that Manoa ended up with by not striking as many guys out, walking a few extra guys, and giving up you know, more soft contact. Now, you and I have discussed that I think a part of that for Alec Manoa was that dialing it back just a little bit and not focusing and not caring as much about strikeouts as weak contact, that's a way to get deeper into games. Yeah. That's a way to be the workhorse guy at the front of the rotation. And if you're throwing 95, 96... Oh, if it was intentional, I'm all for it. No, I don't think it was <laughs> intentional for him to have the lowest velocity of his career last outing. Mm-hmm. But I do think this is a guy who in a short-ish sample, has shown us that he will vary his velocities a little bit um, as the game situation or the situation through the rotation tells us. I'd imagine it's geeked up a little bit in the early innings tonight. Uh, strikes me as a, as a situation where he'll have a little uh, extra juice, but it certainly monitors, uh, w- warrants monitoring, especially if it's another outing where you know the strikeouts aren't elite or, or the, the outcomes aren't elite. Blake, we like to break down this game uh, because there, it, it, we like to do it with the numbers and we like to do we like to use things that we can actually quantify because it is a sport that lends itself mostly to, to like a, a objective reasoning and like and actually you know being able to identify what is happening pitch to pitch, batter to batter in a baseball game. But I think what we're talking about when it comes to Alec Manoa is something that we can't quantify. I mean, unless you, you, you just talk about the numbers in those two games. This is, like, if Alec Manoa, again, who, it's not going to change my outlook on, on his career going forward, but if he comes out against another bad team and does not look Alec Manoa-like in what is now a third consecutive big game, I mean, how, how are you going to have any other take than, boy, there, there's something that needs to change here. It's not like a fatal flaw or something, but something that needs to be addressed. And I think it's a fair thing to discuss because when we were teeing up who should get the opening day start, that was actually yep. an argument in his favor, right? right? Like, he's the guy who seems like he wants those moments a lot. He's the guy that if you were to bet on someone to um, come through in those big moments, that he has that type of personality. So I don't have a a ton of concern that that's not going to happen tonight. Um, Again, it's the Tigers and it's Alec Manoa. I'll I'll take the Alec Manoa side of that bet uh, pretty much all the time. Also, like... just a tiny bit distracted, but there there is a large, like, human-sized baseball wandering around. Yeah, what was uh, that guy I, I don't know what that was, um, but there was a large baseball here. Um, don't be uh, distracted by the large baseball. Yeah, I think Manoa's going to be fine. But, yeah, if this one doesn't come through, I, I think maybe questions like, oh, who's your game one starter? Who gets the opening day nod next year? Now, look, if he if the next 30 starts after this one, he has an ERA of, like, one, and it's like yeah. that conversation will change again. But, yeah, yeah. We, we, if we're going to argue that there are all these intangibles that lead you to want Mano on the hill in big spots, and then a couple times in a row it doesn't happen that way, yep. then, yeah, you got to reevaluate that soft skills side of it. Yeah, no, I was a guy, and who wasn't saying this before game one of that postseason series against the Seattle Mariners, that this is a guy that looks like he was born to play in postseason baseball. Hasn't worked out that way in his one postseason start. Didn't look, work out all that well in his first start of, on opening day sure. this season. Here's what I'll say about the one postseason start thing is that, you know, Mike Trout doesn't have good playoff stats either for his career. I, I'm not going to... Yeah, he stinks. I'm not going to think that Mike Trout is not a, a good playoff player. Like, Alec Manoa is past the threshold of quality of player that, yeah, I'm going to believe Alec Manoa is good in every situation. Um the hope just has to be gets more opportunities at it, right? So we have a, a lineup for today, as you would expect, uh, with it being 520 and the game starting after 7 o'clock. I'm, oh, well, I'll break some news for you. 
Uh, this is a, it's not. I set it up as if there was breaking news. There isn't. Um, but yeah, Dalton Varsho back hitting fourth. Matt Chapman hitting fifth. Brandon Belt is the DH hitting sixth. Alejandro Kirk doing the catching. Kevin Biggio playing mm. second base and hitting eighth. Kevin Kiermaier in center field hitting ninth. Now, I, Whit Merrifield has the most plate appearances of the three second basemen. He's only started two games at second base, though. He's played a bunch of, of corner outfield, right, against lefties and, of course, three straight lefties in Anaheim. Uh, Biggio and Espinal are, are getting about the, an equal am- amount of playing time at second base. It is, it is interesting, though, that the guy that I, I thought might get an opportunity to take the second base job and run with it has been the guy that spent the least amount of time at second base this uh, 10 games into the season. Yeah, and maybe we had penciled in the Nathan Lucas, Otto Lopez, Jordan Luplau of the world yeah. getting a few extra plate appearances Otto's as that off fourth to a great start, by the way, in he Buffalo. Is. Uh, and Jordan Luplau might never be seen again. Yeah, possibly. Uh, we'll see. Um, no, I think it makes sense, right? If they are comfortable with Mi- Whit Merrifield's defense in the corners, and he's looked pretty solid out there, uh, a diving catch at one point, you know, a little concerned that he, he jammed his leg running into the, the right yeah. field foul. Also, that's a, that's the other thing, and I don't I don't mean to circle back to earlier in the conversation. The other thing that stood out to me walking around on the field when we were waiting for interviews and stuff like that, the foul territory is smaller. I don't yeah. I, I think that was Dalton like an under, that. I think that was an underreported part of the changes here. There's yeah. a little less foul ground down the right and left field line, which that too makes a park play a, a little more hitter friendly because some of those long corner outs turn into foul balls you get another try at. No, absolutely. That's that's a part that yeah. No, I honestly until Dalton Varsho mentioned it, I it was not something that ran through my head at all. Brandon Belt though back in there as the DH did get a start against one of the lefties. I think it was in the middle game of the three game set in Anaheim. Yeah, guess what? It didn't go well. He's still uh, holding strong on the one hit that he got on opening day and many strikeouts have have since followed. Uh, he's occasionally put the ball in play, but Blake, if, if we're going to talk about Kevin Kiermaier already being a fan favorite, despite never playing a home game as a Blue Jay yet, like I guarantee you when they announce Kevin Kiermaier's name, when he comes out of the tunnel, um, because they do that on opening day, he's going to get a massive ovation, and everyone will get an ovation. I think the, the least uh, boisterous will come in the direction of Brandon Belt. Yeah, unless you come through in the home opener, which is the, you yeah. know, other than the season opener, probably the game everyone will be, like, I would imagine everyone's more locked in on today's game than any of the last nine. Yes, So you have fair. a big moment today, and this is not your first impression, but, you know, primacy effect's real. Like, your first mm. important and your first big impression on your new uh, crowd, I, I think that'll be just fine. Do you want me to do the thing that I do sometimes where I tell you something that could make you more positive about today that I don't actually believe in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Matt Manning's uh, slight reverse splits for his career. I don't really believe that that's a thing, but, uh, you know, that that probably doesn't speak well to Brandon Belt's place in the lineup, but anytime you have a guy who's just kind of ho-hum against both sides um that to me just screams like he's just not at the level that his career era would suggest yet it's weird matt manning's a weird there's dude. so much weirdness in his statistical profile i know he's your your favorite player no but, uh, wait before we came on air all you were talking about <laughs> matt manning's so good i love no, he's, he's so really tall. good at being tall he's, he's so really tall good at- he has such great extension he's yeah. basically he at home plate before he that's lets true. go of the ball i mean has, disagree with that and you that's can't. that's why it has no velocity because he's so tall and he gets so <laughs> long on the mound that there's only enough space to just go like that just yeah. a little 
uh, cornhole toss of the baseball. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a I'm not a huge believer in him being this level of guy. I know he shut down that Astros uh, offense in his first appearance this year, and his fastball last year had pretty good numbers against it. It's kind of one of those high spin like. They say rising fastball. It doesn't yeah. actually rise, but it gives the appearance of it because there's enough spin on it to stay high in the zone. Uh, not a huge believer that if you're only throwing 92, 93, that's a long-term way to live against hitters of the quality of the Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, he. you go to his StatCast page, and there's a lot of blue there. But, yeah, he's... And like, you don't, for anyone who doesn't, you don't want blue. You want red, you want red. on a StatCast page. You want red, and you want the blotches in the right spots. Oh, yeah. Uh, his blotches uh, seemed fine. But, yeah, no, last year he, he, he did make... Uh, uh, 12 starts and had an ERA under three and a half, and mm-hmm. and so far in a, in one start this season he has uh, just given up two earned runs over five and two thirds. But for a guy that's that tall, does not strike out a bunch of people. And as you mentioned, the, the fastball is not exactly 98, but uh, off to a good start. He's a former first round pick too, and he's really really tall. Yeah, 10 home runs to lefties in 73 innings. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a it's a spot for a guy like Brandon Belt to you know find a find a lucky one. All right, we shall see. Uh, we got a, a full two-hour program of baseball, as you would expect. An opening day here down at Rogers Center. Again, we're at Sportsnet Grill at the Toronto Marriott City Center down at Rogers Center, attached to Rogers Center, but it's in the hotel. Yeah, can we do the one second of hockey that we'll do on this show? Okay. Because for, for anyone who's driving in and listening or is keeping an eye on the, the Toronto Maple Leafs game, don't worry about it because nobody's playing. <laughs> uh, Matthews, Marner, yeah. Giordano are all down. Samsonov's down. Um, they Matt, figured out a way to get Matt Murray has a concussion. Joe Wall is allowed on the roster. Connor Timmons is playing forward tonight. All right. It is a yeah. complete nonsense game. All right. Uh, it's great. This is like if you remember late in spring training when we all fell in love with uh, large lad Peyton Williams sure. for, for the Blue Jays, the six foot five huge, <laughs> huge guy who just mashes from first base. That's tonight's uh, version of the Leaf game. So if uh, we don't talk about it the rest of the show, that's y- you now know why. Listen, we just did more than I thought we would do on that game right Had now. Had to get in the Connor Timmons playing yeah. forward thing. Well done. Best of luck, Connor. Uh, I'm sure he's just happy to be playing because uh, his playing time has been... Uh, Few and far between. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to our pal, Ben Nicholson-Smith, who is uh, overdressed. He of At The Letters joins us next as the Fan Drive Time Home Opener Edition continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Drive Time Blue Jays Home Opener Edition. We are live at Sportsnet Grill at the Toronto Marriott City Center down at Rogers Center. It's a great place to, to come before uh, catching a ball game. Blue Jays and Detroit Tigers in uh, mere moments. Uh, very happy to be joined now by Ben Nicholson-Smith. He's, he's dressed much nicer than both uh, myself, Ben Ennis, and Blake Murphy. Looking good, buddy. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. It's good to be talking baseball on opening day in Toronto. Um, New Look Park is looking good. Yeah, we just got a report. I tried to see it. I, 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 I couldn't see it, but apparently the bleachers already rammed because gates are now open. You would expect that. It's going to be a scene down there. I really think it will um, to have that kind of attention on the relievers warming up, even on the starting pitchers warming up, something totally different. I think there's going to be like 35 years of pent-up, you know, let's say friendly barbs uh, yeah. directed at the opposing uh, pitchers. 
if anyone knew who any of the Detroit Tigers relievers were, That's they right. would be in for it tonight. <laughs> 40,000 people, it's already filled up. You'd be talking trash, but nobody, I don't think, could pick Alex Lang and Jason Foley and Joel Cisnero out of a lineup just yet. They'll have to do a lot of Googling just to make sure they're getting their insights. <laughs> yeah, right. bring up the MLB.com faces yeah. and stuff like that. Although the, the like... Normally when fans do the, like, who or who he play for thing, like, I, I feel like that mostly just tells on yourself for mm. being, like, for not knowing enough guys and things like that. When it comes to the middle relievers on a really bad tanking team, I think the, like, nobody knows who you are, um, aren't you do back in Durham kind of thing oh, is, yeah, that's is good. good. Yeah, exactly. That's good advice. It sounds like somebody who's done some heckling before. Yeah, you're ready to get down there. Oh, buddy. If, if those things, if those seats, I said this before, if those seats existed before uh-huh. I was in media when I was just a fan, I would have had some different fan experiences. I, listen, I'm with you, Blake. Actually, I don't know if we've ever had this, this conversation. How, yeah, before I was in media, I was a big, like, uh, I was a respectful heckler. I had the, you had to live by the heckler's code, right? Like no swearing, mm-hmm. uh, nothing personal. Right. But yeah, I was a very loud person. I think that's that's part of going to a, a sporting event. If you if you keep it within the lines, screaming at professional athletes, that's almost like your duty. I've never been a, a yelling type, and part of this is I think because a couple of the friends who I've probably gone to the most games with are the yelling type. I'm gonna sit back and wait for a gap and, and just like something like really deep cut. <laughs> Oh. was more the, the move for me rather than just, like, yelling a lot of things. Like, I, I'm actually surprised to hear that you're like that because, like, I, I know that it's just because you guys had a show together, but I think of, like, the dynamic you and J.D. Bunkus had. Yeah, he's and loud obviously one? he yes. would be the loud one, right. and you'd be the one that, like, okay, when he's out of breath, I've got this <laughs> jab ready to go. <laughs> yeah, um, And, Ben, you strike me as, as that as well. Say. I can't imagine you being loud even as, a, even as a fan. Yeah, and I love going to games as a fan. It's a great way to, you know, take in, take in the ball game, but um, yeah, I would not be the one leading the charge or leading the wave or any of those things. Probably more likely to be a bit more reserved. Okay. What, a, what about at a scenario like tomorrow, not to promote a, another pregame event, but the, the Raptors have Jurassic Park going for the play-in game tomorrow. Is that a scenario where you'd you'd fire it up? I you know, know you're, you're a little bit of a basketball guy. I, I appreciate a good basketball game. <laughs> I appreciated the Raptors' run when they uh, when they won it all in, what was that, 2019? Yeah. There we go. Um, but uh, as if that's some big piece of trivia. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well done. I, yeah, I, I no, I would not go to Jurassic Park. It would not, uh, not. Yeah, I just haven't done it. All right. Well, this is a, a great time to be a sports fan in the city of Toronto because you got three teams. Um, well, two teams that are in the playoffs. One team that is, I guess, you they're know, not out of the playoffs. No, the Raptors uh, are not technically in the playoffs because if they lose in one of these playing tournament games, that does not count as a playoff appearance. Correct. correct? So this but, is like the baseball equivalent of you ha- you tie and you have to go to a game 163 on Monday, yeah. right? except that for whatever reason in the, the stats NBA, don't the stats count. also don't count. Yeah. So, so you don't get the double dip with like your home run totals or anything like that. So it's they just, don't count for regular season or, or for playoffs? They don't exist. It just they, didn't happen. Like in, one day down the line, there will be like who's the all-time leader in playing play points. Yeah. It'll be like, I don't know, DeMar, because the Bulls finish ninth every year? Like, yeah, I don't is, know. Yeah, yeah, damning with faint praise if you're, yeah. like, the all-time leader in play And, like, points. if the play-in had existed years prior, it absolutely would have been the Damian Lillard Award. Like, yep. they, they finish seventh or eighth in the Western Conference every single year. But, no, it's the equivalent of Game 163, which I don't think anyone, I don't think a baseball fan would ever say oh. that's a playoff no, game. not you know, a playoff I, game. I, I miss Game 163s, which are, we've now gotten rid of with the expanded playoff field. There's been some all-time great, 163 games. Well, here's 
a reason we would, wouldn't have to worry about that this year anyway. Uh, AL East is already settled. Yeah, ben, I know over. in your in your tee up for sportsnet.ca today, <laughs> one of the big storylines to watch for this homestand was how the Jays match up with the Rays. Now, this series starts today. The Rays aren't here until Friday. But what do you make early on? The Jays come out of this 10-game road trip, 6-4 and four on paper to, for a 10-game trip to start the season. You should be so happy. And instead, you're four games back <laughs> in the American League East already. Just bleeding ground in the standings. The Rays are just dusting everyone. I mean, uh, you know, we saw this with the Yankees last year to an extent where the Yankees were so good at the beginning of the year, built up a huge lead, and then everyone else had to try to keep pace. Uh, I think the Rays are a really good team, and this isn't a total shock for them to come out and do this. Obviously, McClanahan, who's going today for them, is an ace. Then you add Springs in, and you add Drew Rasmussen pitching like aces. That's pretty huge. I know Eflin went on the IL for them today, so that was a pretty big addition um, that will kind of eat into some of their pitching. But you have Wander Franco hitting. You've got a really good team, and I, I think they're comparable to the Jays. I still think the Jays are a better team, but I think the Rays are comparable. By the way, uh, so yes, Eflin hits the IL. Blasnow's also on the IL. Taj Bradley, who they're calling up from AAA to fill those spots, has like the best minor league no, Of course we've he like does. ever seen. Like Eno Saras trips over his chair at the Athletic and Fangrass with Stuff Plus. He's like, I got to come up with a new one. Yeah. It's Taj Plus now. Taj Bradley is the best minor league pitcher that my metrics have well, ever seen. And the advice is to take in anybody from that front office, but that's already happened. Like, yeah. people keep plucking guys out of there. They still continue to the, do it. Like, what Blue is the Jays included? Yeah. yeah, exactly. James Click here in Toronto for the opener, and uh, obviously someone who came up with the Rays before guiding the Astros to that World Series win. So, yeah, it's an organization that does a lot of things really well, and the Jays are competing with t- some of the best between them and the Yankees. That starts Friday. Uh, the Jays are not competing with some of the best today and nope. tomorrow and Thursday. They'll face a Tigers team that uh, already off to a bit of an underwhelming uh, start. They'll see Matt Manning tonight opposite Alec Manoa. Uh, then they'll see, what do we got, Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez and Spencer Turnbull, uh, the rest of the series. Rays will talk about a ton heading into that series, but how do the Jays match up with this particular Tigers team and, and the three starters we're going to see? You know, I think the two right-handers are interesting for me just because Brandon Belt obviously had three uh, lefty opponents when the Jays were facing the Angels. So Brandon Belt is someone the Jays really have to get going offensively. Has not happened so far, obviously. He has multiple strikeouts in every one of the Blue Jays games. Cool. Not good. Not what you want to see. So if you're the Jays, you have to figure out what they have here or uh, figure out what the approach is moving forward. And that's easier to do with right-handers on the mound. So I think the fact that you have a couple right-handers, and we're not talking about Aaron Nola and Jacob deGrom. I mean, this is a good chance with Manning and Turnbull for Belt to be able to get some momentum going. Yeah, and and Brandon Belt's coming off a horrible season that was shortened because of the knee injury that he had surgery on. He's in his mid-30s, but you don't have to go that far back to see a guy that was a dominant force, frankly, at at the plate. And and like, if you were then... 100 games put up some pretty sizable uh, home run totals. Also a guy that said he felt 100%. And, man, maybe I did. I got I got fooled again by you spring mark. training. You mark. <laughs> but it, not by performance, right? Because he, he performed a little bit, but he barely played in spring training. But I bought what he sold me, which was, hey, if I underperform, that's on me. And maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> but he said, I feel 100%. So if that's the case... Maybe, yeah, okay, what, what, what does that mean about the performance we've seen here through 10, 10 games? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not a good sign, that's for sure. I, I think I tend to agree with you. It's different, you know, if there's a 22-year-old player, you are going to set the timetable for them. You are going to make sure that they are doing things according to what your performance people say they should do. Brandon Bell 
I don't have it in front of me, 34 years no. old, right? Like, this is a guy who's done it a lot of times, and you're going to default to him to some extent. So if he does say, I need 20 at-bats, let's say 30, 40 at-bats, which he did not get in spring training, then you're going to go with that. And they went with that. They trusted him. $9.3 million. It's not looking good. Obviously, it's, yeah, early, it's early. But it's legitimately not looking good. Well, but Okay, the other thing is that we, we saw him in his brief uh, appearances in Grafer League hitting fourth, right? And then it was kind of a shock to the system to see Dalton Varsho on opening day hitting fourth because I don't think we saw that once. Maybe like one one game, but I don't think Brandon Belt was in the game that uh, that Varsho hit fourth in spring training. Either way, it surprised me. But maybe it was an indication that the Blue Jays knew maybe that this guy wouldn't be striking out in half of his plate appearances, but that they were like, the, the, okay, what we've seen in limited sample... Uh, we're going to hope that this guy figures it out, but right now doesn't look like what we saw in 2021. He looks more like the guy that was on his last legs in 2022. Exactly. And so now it's like, okay, obviously those at-bats have happened. That's, that's in the past. So the Jays basically need to figure out, is this trend line going to start moving up or is it going to stay where it is? And that's a pretty important question for them. He is designed to be their primary DH, uh, certainly against right-handed pitching. And so they've got to figure out, is this line moving up? Is he starting to perform better? Um, because that's, you know, one-ninth of their lineup. Yeah, so when you dig in on the Brandon Belt stuff, I'm curious what you're seeing, Ben. And again, fairly limited sample still. But when, yeah, you're about to turn 35 on uh, April the 20th, Nice little 420 birthday for him. Um, Yeah, when you are about to turn 35, which the three of us can all attest is ancient, uh, you can't do anything anymore. You can hardly even get out of bed to do radio. Um, You know, some of the stuff, if this were, if there were loud outs, if there were strikeouts where he was looking at something on the edge and you could see the, the management of the strike zone a little bit, like... Those would be things that maybe I could get encouraged by. You dig into some of the numbers or even just watch some of the plate appearances, he's expanding the zone a ton. He is not getting a bat on any of the stuff that he is expanding the zone for. Now, when he swings the stuff in the zone, the contact rate's still okay. But what do you make of, like, the one thing, if there were anything that I would think a veteran hitter with a lot of experience would have consistently is you can still manage the strike zone. Like, even Joey Votto at his, in his worst injury plague seasons always walked a ton. Still had that ability to recognize ball from strike and manage a plate appearance. To me, what stands out the most with Belt is he hasn't really had that. Which is surprising, honestly. I mean, I would expect more like a Joey Votto light situation mm-hmm. from Brandon Belt. I think that would be kind of what the Jays were hoping for. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Just hasn't happened. When I checked, I, I think his strikeout rate on the season is 60%. That's, I mean, too, that's too high. It's way too high, obviously. It is exactly 60%. Yeah, and that's going to go down. <laughs> like, we all understand it's going to go down. Uh, but it just it does reflect the struggles that he's had. So, you know, and you look at the Jays' offensive additions that they made, the three position players all bat left-handed. Kiermaier looks amazing. Varsha looks amazing. Belt really doesn't. So right no. now it's two for three. Yeah, and, and he is getting the start today against the righty. We've got a lefty tomorrow, so I imagine out of, out of the lineup. Um, and it is early, and, and part of the, my thinking going through the uh, Angels series was that he was going to get a start because he didn't want him sitting for that yeah. long. Uh, and they did. They got him a start in one of the games, and guess what? He struck out a couple of times because he's done that in every game. Um, but I do wonder at a certain point, and yeah, you've got to give this guy runway to, to see if he's total some cost or if he's uh, some facsimile of the guy that we saw in 2021. Again, more than $9 bucks on the hook. But you're also in the business of winning baseball games. And if, you're, if the top of your order is hitting the way it is, it's, it's probably not all that relevant. But, Ben, 
And, and again, you're not cutting bait anytime soon, but I wonder, is he still getting every single start at DH against right-handed pitchers? I, I think you give it maybe another week, like let it play out for this homestand, um, and that's I haven't seen who the Rays are throwing, but um, it won't. Well, yeah. So either way, you're going to let him face a bunch of righties this home. You are going to face two lefties against the Rays. Yeah. The way the probables line ah, up, you would get McClanahan at one point and Josh Fleming. Yeah. Okay. in one of those other so spots. The three righties that they're facing on this home stand, you're going to put Belt in the line right. for those games, and then try to find a pinch hit opportunity. And then if he takes over fours every day, all right, you have more information. And at that point, to me, you taper off. Like I, I just it, these games are too important. I know it's a long season, um, but got to win baseball games. You got to win baseball games. The Rays are ten and zero. You got to <laughs> catch up to the Rays. You can't be throwing these games. And away. I guess the other thing of it is is someone going to be pushing for more of those plate appearances, yeah. right? It's not yeah. just do you have to take them away from Belt, but is getting is forcing him in the lineup every day, taking plate appearances away from someone who's playing a little better. In the early on, probably not. It, yeah. it, the, the bottom parts of the order have not been particularly effective for this team, especially... Kevin Bejo is putting together better at-bats than Brandon Belt right yeah, now. Yeah, the at-back... Santiago Espinal had a couple on the weekend where he went eight, nine pitches deep, and, and he didn't end up on base, but those are helpful ones to turn the order over and, and get you know, let Bo and Vlad and those guys see more pitches, get the pitcher a little deeper into their pitch count. Those are not the type of plate appearances Brandon Belt has been having. Um, I don't think uh, a Nathan Lucas or Jordan Luplau is going to ta- make a case for any of those plate appearances, but you could get, you know, if you scale back on Belt at some point, that's an extra DH day Springer gets or Vlad gets, yeah. and that's an extra day that Whit Merrifield plays a corner, so one of Biggio or Espinal get in. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do the catcher DHing thing anytime soon, given the way they're hitting, but that's another potential option there. But even Kirk has taken some walks. Like I know, yeah, the hits haven't been there, but his plate appearances have. Kirk is going to hit. We yeah. we can I think safely assume that. So yeah, you can distribute those at bats to a bunch of players that way. Um, I, you know, I do come back to the nine point three million dollars. Like if yeah. he was on a minor league deal, he comes in. You know, that's a different thing. But nine point three is substantial. Could you not see it though? Like if you're at this front office, maybe it was a case of. And, and I know that this is hard for like a fan side, but. When you're talking about pooled investment and pooled risk, it was, okay, well, this much to Kiermaier, this much to Belt, and if you get one good everyday player out of that, whether that's a platoon situation or one guy works out and one guy doesn't, because Kiermaier, as amazing as he's been, is in his 30s and coming off a hip surgery too, right? It's not like he was a If he hits 450, then you're you're fine. Right, but they may have looked at this as like, okay, that's 17, 17 17.5 million between the two. If we get one guy out of that who is uh, a... solid to above solid everyday guy, maybe that's okay. Well, and I think if you look at it at the end of the season and you viewed it from that lens, you would probably say, okay, those combined investments ended up working out. I think in the moment, you're trying to get something out of that. Because also, it's not just the money. It is the fact that in 2000. 19, no, 2021. Yeah, it was he recent. He hit 29 home runs in, in, in like 100 90 games. 90 games, yeah. So that is recent performance <laughs> against elite pitching, the best in the major leagues, and he was producing. So setting aside the money, you want to see if you can get back to that point. And at this point, he's looked really, really distant from that hitter. We mentioned the catchers in there a little bit, and obviously the confidence that Alejandro Kirk will eventually hit, the management of the strike zone, exactly what we just talked about, you know, kind of Votto-esque in his ability to see and judge balls and strikes on the borderlines. He has not had an amazing start uh, in terms of controlling the run game. He's yet to throw a base runner out. This is a Tigers team. They've only attempted six stolen bases. Nobody on the Gotta team. Got to get on base. Nobody has has stolen more than one as a team. Um, they're near the bottom of the league in that. 
Do you think that's something we're going to see teams start to, to ramp up a little bit when Kirk's behind the plate? I, I think they should. I think they definitely should. If you're a pro scout advancing the Jays, I mean, that would seem like some pretty reasonable advice to give your manager um, just to put pressure on. And it's interesting, too, not to, you know, I'm not trying to stir up controversy when I say this, oh, but let's hear it. Gabriel oh. Moreno has thrown oh, out boy. every base ha! runner. Um, now, that trade looks like a win-win. Dalton yeah. Varsho is a great player. Uh-huh. Let the Diamondbacks have Moreno. That's, that's still a win-win deal. But I, I do think if you're an opposing manager, base runner against the Jays, you probably want to push them and make them prove that they can retire those attempts. Blue Jays are in the middle of the pack as far as stolen bases as well. Um, they had the double steal, which adds to their total. But are, are you? What, what have you made of the deployment of the stolen base thought? You know, Whit Merrifield, especially a guy that formerly led the American League in stolen base attempts, obviously they, that was a couple of years ago. But that that might be more of a weapon for this Blue Jays team, or is middle of the pack where you expect them to be at the end of the season? I, I think if they're middle of the pack in this new environment around steals, that's probably pretty good for them. Um, they don't have absolute burners. They've got, like, the fast old guy contingent between <laughs> Merrifield and Kiermaier and Springer. Like, they can move pretty well as a unit. Matt Chapman maybe steals a couple. Vladdy loves to run. Like, he might steal 10. Um, I don't know that Bo Bichette's going to run quite as much as, yeah. as he used to. Well, he can't make the gambles that he made the other night in those spots. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, you took the tying runner from home plate and took it took that situation away and and that's the thing with this lineup is you have a lot of really good hitters so you don't want to take yourself out of offensive situations by running into outs that's where i don't see the jays being a leader as as a stolen base team but i think they can safely be middle of the pack so have you considered as a counter to that though that stolen bases are really fun yeah what I about mean, that, Ben? I, I love stolen bases <laughs> as a fan. Because it sounds like you hate them. You want, you want Alejandro Kirk to throw out base runners on the other team more. You don't want the Jays running into outs when their best hitters are up. It you know, sounds like you don't like stolen bases. You know what I'm very pro is the bunts that the Jays have been dropping in periodically. Oh. Love seeing Kevin Kiermaier drop one in. Uh, Dalton Varsho's in on that. Brandon ch- Belt eventually will get in on that. The choice for Varsho first pitch after the Chapman Grand Slam. Mm. And I'm going to ask him. We have him coming on next, not to uh, not to big time you, uh, but Dalton Varshaw is going to join us next, and I can't wait to ask him about that decision to throw that bunt down first pitch after Detmers gives up the grand slam. That's so cheeky to me. I, I love that. It's great. I mean, honestly, it puts pressure on the other team. It's it's a great way to go, especially if you have maybe a borderline sacrifice situation. You know, is this the time to sacrifice? Maybe it's late innings. You're up by one. Doesn't necessarily call for it, but you can push it. Try to get a base hit out of it, and then worst case, you advance the guy. Well, and especially against lefties, where he really struggled against lefties last year. But again, again, small sample in 2021, he was good against lefties. And in in small sample this season, the plate appearances we've seen for Dalton Varsho against left-handed pitching has been impressive. Like I, I, I was curious, not that we would see a full platoon because he was acquired like primarily, yeah, he had 27 home runs, but for the elite elite defense, he can play in a corner or even center field, but that he looks more than half decent against lefties it caught me a little bit off guard. It's a, it's a good thing because the Jays need someone to play the outfield against lefties. And so realistically, Kiermaier 
probably, you know. Can't take you, him out of the lineup well, though now either. You love the defense, but I think you can because I think you can put him on the bench, have Varsho play center field. <laughs> then late game, you're up by a couple runs. You bring Kiermaier in. Look, tell him, tell him, Blake. I'm going to do it again. Second, do it. Second time this show, I'm going to mention reverse platoon splits, yeah. even though I don't believe in them. Uh-huh. He's now uh, nudged his batting average against lefties for a spear higher than against righties. Now, he has no power right. against lefties. That, that ground no rule double on the triple on the weekend were an exception. He does walk into them sometimes against righties, but he can get bat the ball lefty on lefty. He's a 251 career lefty on lefty hitter. Given that level of defense, yeah, you still, you're going to take him out of there sometimes. But in a stretch like this, like this week, where you have three lefties in six games, I don't want his defense out of the lineup three times. I agree with that. I think maybe you get him out of there a couple times. But this is where it gets really interesting for John Schneider because at a certain point, you have to realize that you're getting really good Kevin Kiermaier. You're not getting the version that we saw last year. And it's kind of similar to Brandon Belt. Right now, the Jays are getting kind of the bad version of Brandon yeah. Belt, but they're getting the really good version of Kevin Kiermaier. So that probably means you over-index on Kiermaier a little bit, let him do his thing, because at worst case, you're getting really good defense. Yeah, so at least, yeah. So I can, I don't know what to do with these spring training narratives, because again, wrong on, on Brandon Belt, wrong on Matt Chapman, who looked like he was totally out to sea in spring training, but right on Kevin Kiermaier. He looked healthy and said he was healthy, and now he's healthy. Yeah, one for three. You know where you'd rank on the Blue Jays in batting average right now? Pretty good. Yeah. So you should feel fine about it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Chris Bassett, too, right? Because Bassett was dealing with all that stuff in spring, mm-hmm. and then he's still trying to figure it out. I mean, it's it's been, you know, I know that his start was better against the Angels, but it, it'll be interesting to see him against the Tigers. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the sense in your piece teeing up this homestand that you have a little bit more working around in your brain about Bassett and maybe we get a Bassett piece from you after his start this week? Uh, it's entirely possible. I have to check and see. I might be writing that game anyway, so it might be uh, might be a very Bassett-heavy game uh, It seemed game like story. you like had a couple notes. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm only... Uh, I'm going to use just a little bit. I'm yeah, not going to... Don't give it all. Final away. series of the regular season. I'm not going to show you everything. Uh, I'm not even yeah. going to use the change up today because we might see you in the playoffs. <laughs> That's how it read a little bit. I think you got more coming on Bassett. Well, I don't want to give any secrets. Who, who, <laughs> who knows what other writers might be listening to oh, this, but uh, I know you guys nobody get a lot of is, Nobody's as good as you. Wow. Aww. What a way to send you out, Ben. Uh, Well-deserved. Thanks for doing this, pal. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. Ben Nicholson-Smith. When we come back, Dalton Varsho, also Mike Petriello of MLB.com. It's the fan drive time at Sportsnet Grill at Rogers Center. At Sportsnet Grill at Rogers Center. We'll be back in a minute.